Awesome. Good morning, everyone. Uh, why don't you stand with me for a minute? We're just going to pray. Come on. Hallelujah. Why don't you just put your hand on your heart right now? Just close your eyes. and God's good, isn't he? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we want to be men and women of God. God, we want to be people, Lord God, that shine with your presence, that have a hunger and a passion for you. God, we want to be a church that is full of God and that overflows with your presence into our community, into our region, our nation, the nations of the world. And I want to pray this morning that, that you, we would have an encounter with you this morning. God, we know that, that, God, you come and you fill everyone. And there's a sense that when your presence comes, Lord God, there's a corporate infilling. But, God, we know that in every crowd, it's about individual lives, individual needs, individual situations. And I want to pray that wherever we're at this morning, each person in this room would leave feeling like they're met with the living God this morning. God, I thank you that our encounters with you mark us forever. And I want to pray for a, for a God morning this morning, an encounter morning with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. Praise God. Amen. It's good to pray big prayers, isn't it? Um, I, I want to read, read a scripture this morning. Um, it's found in uh, one of the Old Testament books, right near the end of the Old Testament, actually, the book of Zechariah. Um, so if you've got a Bible, um, good luck finding it. Um, if, you've got a, if you've got an app, it's a lot easier, isn't it? Um, Zechariah 2, um, Zechariah is having a conversation with an angel, as you do. And in verse 3, it says, The angel who was speaking to me was leaving. Another angel came. Do you know what angels are like? They're like buses, right? One comes and then uh, another... So Zechariah's having a conversation with an angel. The angel leaves. Then another angel comes up. And um, the other angel says, run. Tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals that are in it. Uh, we'll just pause there for a moment. So uh, God, this is obviously in the Old Testament. So God is speaking about uh, the city of Jerusalem, which is of course a, a literal uh, city. However, when we're kind of reading Old Testament stuff uh, from a new covenant angle, we kind of have to wonder, well, what's a spiritual application for me and you sat in hall today, this morning? Um, Jerusalem's great, but how does that apply to, to my life today? And if you think about what Jerusalem is, Jerusalem is, is, is where God set up his throne on earth. It was a capital city of God's nation. So when we read Jerusalem, we can read God's kingdom. So everyone say the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So we've been looking, haven't we, over the past few weeks about this, the, the message of Jesus, that God's kingdom was coming to earth. And so here we, we have Jerusalem, the kingdom. And this is an incredible prophetic word that the angel gives to the prophet Zechariah. He says that the kingdom of God will be a city without walls. 
So if you think for a moment about what a wall is, a wall is something that restricts. A wall is something that contains. A wall is something that that limits. But God promises that his kingdom doesn't have any walls. His kingdom doesn't have any restrictions, any limitations, any confinements. So when God's kingdom comes, who knows, God's kingdom is not limited to a church building. God's kingdom is not limited or restricted to Sunday morning, 10.30 while 12. But actually God's kingdom is an ever-increasing, ever-expanding, ever-growing kingdom that is taking over the whole world. And so God's kingdom is a kingdom without walls. That's what it says in verse 4. But then in verse 5, God says this. I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. And I will be its glory within. So verse 4, God says, my kingdom doesn't have any walls. But then in verse 5, he says, well, actually, it does have a wall. And it's a wall of fire. The fire of my presence. The fire of my glory. So think about this, this for a moment. You see this picture. That walls set the parameter of something, right? And the wall to God's kingdom is his fire. So the bigger the fire the bigger the reach. But the smaller the fire, the more contained and limited is the reach. Do we get that? So I don't, this wall, this room here, we've got four walls, right? I don't know how many we can fit in here. What, 250, 300, something like that. Um, But you imagine for a moment that we could push out the walls. We could fit 500 in. You push them out a bit further, we could fit 800 in, 1,000. Keep going, keep going. And you, here's a picture that God says that my, the walls of my kingdom are walls of fire. So the more the fire spreads, the more my kingdom increases. The more my kingdom advances. So little fire, little reach. Big fire, big reach. And, it, the, and the dream of God is here. I was reading this in Zephaniah 1.18. This is an incredible promise. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed. Can you imagine the whole world being ablaze with the presence of God? Can you imagine the whole world being ablaze with his beauty, with his majesty, with his holiness? Can you imagine what it would look like for the fire of God to hit hospitals? Come on, someone. Can you imagine what the fire of God would look like hitting schools, hitting places of government, hitting parliament, hitting royalty? Can you imagine the fire of God hitting media and entertainment? Can you imagine the fire of God hitting every street and village and town and community in our region, in our nation, until the fire of his presence consumes the whole world? That is the dream of God. 
That is the plans, the purposes of God. He says, my kingdom will have a wall of fire and I will be its glory in the center. So right at the center of God's kingdom, you have his glory, his throne, Jesus himself. But then the fire spreading out until it reaches and touches and consumes the whole world. So if we, as the church, uh, if our job, if our mission, if our commission is to see God's kingdom advance and spread and work through us, what kind of church do you think God's looking for? A church that's on fire, right? Not a church that's lukewarm. Not a church that's cold, that's apathetic, that's dull, that's boring. But a church which is consumed with a passion for Jesus. A church where every area of our lives is ablaze with His presence, with His glory, with His holiness, with His splendor, with His majesty. Come on, someone say, set me on fire, Jesus. Come on. God wants a church that's like Him, right? Jesus made two statements in the Gospels. First one, speaking of himself, he said, I am the light of the world. But then he spoke about me and you. And he said, you are the light of the world. But if you think 2,000 years ago when Jesus spoke those words, he wasn't speaking about an electric light. Right? That you can turn on or off. He was speaking about an oil lamp. When people 2,000 years ago looked at a light, they didn't see a light bulb. They saw a fire. They saw something that was ablaze. So when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, what was he saying? I am burning with passion, with glory, with splendor, with holiness. And when he said, you are the light of the world, what was he talking about? A church that was on fire with the Holy Spirit. A church that was ablaze with his presence. A church that reflects him. Because who knows, our God is not English. Come on, someone. Our God is not nice. Our God, sometimes we say this, don't we? Even as preachers, I've probably said this loads of times. Oh, the, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. You know, he's just so gentle and calm. And, he, you know, uh, you know uh, friends, our God is a consuming fire. He's not apathetic. He's not distant. He's not cold. He's not politically correct. But our God is a consuming fire. The Bible says in Psalm 97 that fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning strikes the earth and he caught the, the, the mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. Come on. When I think of people that were on fire for God in the Bible, one, one name that kind of really stands out would be John the Baptist. Jesus himself said of John that John was a lamp that burned 
and gave light. Now, if you think of John the Baptist for a moment, John the Baptist lived in a desert, in a wilderness. And John appeared at a time in, in the history of the nation of Israel when, what was it, was it 400 or 500 years, there'd been no prophetic voice in the nation of Israel. So John turned up in a culture that was very, all they knew of God was religion. All they knew of God was cultural. All they knew of God was stories. But for hundreds of years, they had not seen a move of the Holy Spirit. They had not had a prophetic voice. They had not seen signs, wonders, miracles. Does that kind of paint a little bit of a picture of our nation? That all it knows of Christianity is historical and cultural. But in the midst of that, this wild prophet is there in a desert. And he looked, he dressed different. He, his diet was different. He spoke differently. In other words, he didn't blend in. He didn't fit in. But this was a guy that was consumed with a passion for Jesus. His whole goal in life was to point people to Jesus. He said, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. I love to just listen to his voice. And when he speaks, I am filled with joy. He said, I must decrease. He must increase. Everything in John's life, he burned with a consuming passion for Jesus. And right there in the wilderness, multitudes came and were baptized into the kingdom. You see, it's not about your environment. It's about your environment. I think I've made that word up. It should be a word, I think. It's not about your environment. You might, right now, you might feel like God's put you in a wilderness. You might think my office is a wilderness. You might think the place I work, my school, my college is a wilderness. You, you might think right now my circumstances, I'm in a bit of a wilderness. I'm in a dry, barren place. But friends, it, your kingdom impact is not determined by your environment. It's determined by your environment. Is your heart burning for God? Is your heart consumed with a passion for Jesus? The burning bush is proof that if you are on fire, God can use you even in a wilderness. Are you on fire this morning? Are you consumed with a passion for Jesus? God's method has not changed. It always has been and always will be men and women who are on fire for Jesus. He makes his angels winds, but he makes his servants flames of fire. Can you imagine what it would look like in Hull if in every school, in every office, in every street, in every area of this town, of this region, God had flames of fire. God had men and women consumed with a passion for Jesus. What would that look like? It'd look like a kingdom with walls of fire. 
it had looked like a whole world being consumed with the fire of his presence. I want to, uh, I want to read you this, uh, this scripture. I was reading this uh, last week. This is in the book of Revelation. John writes these words, Revelation 8 verse 3. This is out of the Passion Translation. Then the eighth angel came with a golden incense burner. I really want to see an angel now preaching this message. Zechariah got two. John's had eight so far. Uh, Then the eighth angel came with a golden incense burner. And he came and took his place at the incense altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer up. Consisting of the prayers of God's holy people. Upon the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the holy ones billowed up before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel filled the golden incense burner with coals of fire from the altar. And he hurled it onto the earth, releasing great peals of thunder, voices, lightning flashes, and an earthquake. Ha. God says that your prayers are like incense. Uh, My old church, uh, once a year on Remembrance Sunday, um, all the churches in our village used at 11, well, about 5 to 11, we'd stop our meetings and we'd all gather together around like the cenotaph for a minute's silence. And um, uh, the Pentecostals, you could always hear us coming. The, the African church, you could always see them coming because of the bright colors and, and all that. But the, the Anglicans, you could always smell them coming because it, it was a high Anglican church and they'd be there with their incense and you could smell it. And the Bible says that your pra- this is you using human language so that we can kind of get it. But the Bible says that your prayers are like incense in the nostrils of God. Your prayers smell good. And I just picture God on his throne. And have you ever been kind of walking in town and there's a re- an Italian restaurant nearby that's cooking garlic bread or, you know, there's a smell of curry coming out of an Indian place. God's there on his throne and suddenly there's this... What's that? Reviver having another encounter week. What's that smell? That smells good, Gabriel. Oh, it's a half night of prayer at Kingswood House. Your prayers are like incense in the nostrils of God. But then we got this picture here in Revelation that an angel goes and takes fire And he throws the fire into the incense. And there's this mixture of fire and incense that the angel hurls to the earth. And suddenly the ground begins to shake. And just as I was reading that the, the the other day, God just kind of put this prayer on my heart. God, I want my prayers to be mixed with fire. I want my my prayer life to be mixed with fire. Because when my prayer is good, but when it's mixed with fire, something is released on the earth that causes the ground to shake. 
I, I want my prayer life to be filled with fire. Anyone else? Anyone else fed up of just praying through their prayer list? Anyone else just fed up of saying words? Anyone else just just fed up of just going through their, 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 their quiet time routine that's the same as it's been for the past 35 years? God, I want some fire on my prayers. I want to start to pray some fiery, bold, passionate prayers. I believe this morning, fire is going to come on people's prayer life. I believe fire is going to come on people's devotional life. I'm praying as we're headed into our encounter week this week, God, we want to mix our prayers with fire. We want some fiery prayer meetings this week. I want our worship times to be mixed with fire. Our worship team are awesome, but I'm praying over you guys this morning. Fire coming on your ministries like never before. Incense and fire together are pouring out, mixed with the fire of the Holy Spirit and something released. And, and all the Bible can describe it as it. It's like lightning. It's like thunder. It's like an earthquake. I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. It sounds powerful. It sounds visible. It sounds audible. It sounds noticeable. When the fire of God combines with our prayers, with our worship, with our devotion. Anyone else saying, God, set me on fire. Set me on fire. I'm nearly finished, but how do you keep burning? Or how do you get on fire? Because who knows that we live in a world full of fire extinguishers. Doesn't matter how on fire you get, there's a bill that comes through the post. You get sick, you get into an argument with someone at work, it acts like a fire extinguisher. But who knows, God is not looking for people that just burn in a Sunday service. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, even Friday afternoon. I want to keep burning, burning with his passion, burning with a hunger for him. And the hardest thing in the world, just to keep on fire. But Isaiah 6, it's that glorious passage where Isaiah sees the Lord seated on his throne. He sees Jesus on his throne. And Isaiah 6 sees this. Around the throne, there were seraphim. And seraphim encircle the throne. And day and night, they never stop singing. Holy, holy, holy. You know, there are different kinds of angels. There are warrior angels. There are governmental angels. There are messenger angels. Seraphim, all they do is get around the throne and worship. And do you know that seraphim is not a, a title or a name? It's actually a description. It means the burning ones. Or the ones who are continually on fire could it be that to be a burning one it's all about proximity and it's all about worship could it be that 
sometimes we, we, we put ourselves under pressure. I've got to keep the fire burning. I've got to get myself on fire. Could it be that the secret is just to behold him? Could it be that, that when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we get, we get distracted by all our circumstances and all the things that are going on around us, could that be that we, we start to get a little bit dull, a little bit lukewarm? But when we encircle the throne, when we get around him and when we see him and we just say, holy, 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 suddenly a fire begins to burn. I don't know, there's something. I can feel lukewarm, I can feel backslidden, but then there's something when I just glance at Jesus and I say, I love you, Lord. I just glance at Jesus and say, you are worthy. I just glance at Jesus and say, God, you are awesome. Suddenly fire begins to burn. The Bible says of Jesus that his eyes are like blazing fire. That all you have to do is look at him. All you have to do is gaze into his eyes that burn with a love and a passion for you. And suddenly a fire begins to stir up on the inside of you. The psalmist said, while I meditated, the fire burned. All I got to do is think about him. All I got to do is focus on him. And this week we've got an encounter week. We've got a half night of prayer. We're going to have time in a few moments for just to worship and, and to allow the Holy Spirit to come. And what, what are these times all about? Refocusing. Getting our eyes back on Jesus. Away from our circumstances. Away from what's on TV. Away from politics. And just getting our eyes on Jesus again and causing the fire to burn again in, it, in our hearts. Now you might say, I'm not a seraphim. I'm not an angel. But in the midst of this scene, there comes an ordinary guy, Isaiah. And suddenly Isaiah steps into the throne room of God. And suddenly he's in the midst of all this angelic worship. And what's his response? Woe is me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not good enough. I, I, my lips are unclean. I'm surrounded by, in other words, I'm a mess. And I'm in a world that's in a mess. And the moment, listen to this, the moment he confesses his own inadequacy, an angel takes a live coal from the altar, a coal that's burning, and touches his lips with it. You see, you don't have to baptize yourself this morning. All you have to do is confess your need of him. And I believe this morning that angels in this room are going to take coals from the altar of heaven are going to touch people this morning. Anyone else? Woe is me, Isaiah said. Sounds a little bit King Jamesy for me. Let's paraphrase it. God, my prayer life's rubbish. God, I don't want to come to church this morning. God, I get bored reading the Bible. God, I'm just not really into worship at the minute. 
God, there's an area in my life where I'm struggling. God, I need you. And the moment you confess your inadequacy, the moment you confess your weakness, an angel comes with a call from the altar and touches our lives and sets our hearts ablaze. He is the baptizer. He is the baptizer. John the Baptist will close with him. Called John the Baptist because he baptized people. And who knows when John baptized people, he didn't sprinkle people. He stood in the River Jordan and he fully immersed people into the river. And when people came out, their clothes were wet. Their hair was wet. Their skin was wet. Every part of them had been fully immersed in the waters of the River Jordan. But John said, I'm one kind of baptizer. But after me is coming another baptizer. I'm not even unworthy to tie up his sandals. And when this baptizer comes, he will baptize you. In the Holy Spirit and with fire. This morning, we are in the presence, not of John the Baptist, he's in heaven. But we are in the presence of Jesus the Baptist. And the Bible, in the book of Daniel, it describes a river of fire that flows from the throne of God. And this morning, Jesus the Baptist is stood in a river of liquid fire. And right now he wants to come and he wants to immerse you in the fire of his presence. He wants to fully consume every area of our lives with the fire of his love, the fire of his holiness, the fire of his purity, that we would leave this place ablaze for Jesus. Come on, someone shout hallelujah. Come on, why don't we stand together this morning? Worship team, why don't you come up? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just close your eyes right now where you are. I'm told that when the old Pentecostals used to greet each other in church, we might kind of Say, hey, how you doing, James? You had a good week, Jared. That might be kind of how we greet each other. But I'm told that the early Pentecostals, when they would meet each other on a Sunday, they would say, are you burning, brother? Are you burning, sister? You can read some of their letters, and they, instead of uh, ending the letters, yours sincerely, they, they would just put K-O-F. Keep on fire. I just believe that God is looking for men and women that are on fire. You might be a preacher. You might be a businessman or a businesswoman. You may be a teacher. Whatever you are, you may be a mom, you may be a dad, you may be a student. But God is looking for men and women who are just passionate for him.